0: Welcome to the Faith Seeking Freedom podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. Your questions about faith and liberty deserve thoughtful answers, and we're dedicated to giving you solid responses so you can live free and flourish.
1: In the case of the U.S. being attacked at something like Pearl Harbor, what would be the appropriate response? And he also adds that, you know, he agrees that war should be avoided, but he's not sure how. If something like that happened today, what should be done? Doug, where do you, where do you stand on this?
0: Well, I realize that you're you're using one particular example as like, hey, how what what should the US do in this particular case? And you're using Pearl Harbor. And my first answer would be, well, if I was president of the US during whatever your Pearl Harbor 40s. attack. We'll just say in, in the, the 40s. 40s. Yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> um, my my history, uh, and I, used to, I usually know this. If my son asked me this morning, I probably would have been able to tell him. FDR provoked the Japanese through sanctions and other things. It was not unknown. This is one of those things where it's not even quite a conspiracy theory anymore that there was ample evidence that this was about to happen and that the U.S. provoked it. So, what would I do? I wouldn't provoke other nations to attack us.
1: Follow the George Washington principle, you know? uh, Yes. Peace, commerce, and honest friendship with other nations. (laughs) Yes. This is why free trade is super important. A little aside
0: here this is why free trade is important because when goods can cross over, it usually means that war does not. So, that aside, okay. So, what would the United States do? Well, Honestly, and I'm going to answer this by a little bit of a story. One of the reasons I became a libertarian before I even knew what a libertarian was, probably by about three to four years, was right after 9-11. I remember, you know, thinking that we were a Christian nation or we should have been or, you know, we started as one, etc. And George Bush, you know, a good God-fearing Christian man, you know, he's president during 9-11. And it occurred to me that if we were really Christian, and if George W. Bush was truly acting as a Christian in terms of following you know, the way of Jesus, that he would say that retaliation against Al-Qaeda and against Osama bin Laden would not be the way that we would act, that we would forgive and move on and pursue peace. Now, I was not against war at the time, but for some reason, that was just kind of like, Well, Well, if we were a Christian nation, that's what we would do. We would forgive them. And we would try to, you know, do whatever we could to help those who were being, you know, recruited to be terrorists and so forth. And we wouldn't provoke people in the Middle East. Now, I didn't know any of the libertarian type stuff that I know today about how we've been agitating the Middle East forever, or at least since the 60s. So... What I would do, I mean if I were in charge, how would the US respond? I would say we would we should ask the question and this is Christian or non-Christian, we should ask the question, how did this happen? Why did it happen and did we do anything to provoke it? That's kind of where I would start. I don't quite have an answer as to what we should do, but the answer is always less violence and you always have to calculate both sides of the balance sheet by going against going to war. I realize World War II is is a definitely a different situation in terms of like the broader question. But this particular question is, you know, what do we do if we're attacked? You know, what? how should we respond? And I would say that whatever commits the least amount of violence and demonstrates that we will not stoop to the level of the terrorists or the attackers and we will rise above the ides of war. That's kind of where I would answer it. Norm, how about you?
1: Yeah, this is a difficult it's a difficult question for a number of reasons, and a lot of it comes down to this, frankly, a bit of mythos around the onset of the Second World War, and I've really come to understand over the last fifteen years that really the difference between World War One and World War Two was not very much, and a lot of that had to do with uh, the way in which World War One ended and the way in which the punishment of Germany ensued there, which allowed for ultimately the rise of Hitler and just kept on spiraling out of control. On top of that, the sanctions that were put on the Japanese at the time, which was very much the prompting of the attack. Look, (laughs) it was wrong for the Japanese to attack. It was wrong for the U.S. to put sanctions on on them, and it's, it was wrong for Hitler to take power and arise, and it was wrong for the conditions that allowed for his rise to occur, and it was wrong for the for the Treaty of Versailles to push down the uh, the Germans in the way that it did, and so on and so forth, until we can eventually get back. We can just you know keep regressing back into even like, well, I guess it was it was wrong in the first place. To have a civil war in America, which it absolutely was. And, and we're, I mean, it, you can keep going back and back and back on this. And in fact, there's a funny little article from Stephen Kinsella that kind of makes this point uh, that you can find. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'll try and we'll try and find it and put it in the show notes here. But the point is, it's like statism leads to this stuff. You want to know what to do? Don't have a state. <laughs> I mean, yeah. don't participate in this, in this vehicle of violence. You want to stop it? Don't do it in the first place. So, you know, somebody's got to break the cycle of violence. On some level, that's got to be something that Christians should take upon ourselves. You cannot single-handedly do that, Hmm. okay? But what you can do is break the cycle in you. It sounds so, I don't know, let me make the political personal here, right? It's like, this is a problem because statism is a problem. And there's not going to be clean answers to a lot of these things. The policies that are put in place are just gigantic in their scope and they have far-reaching implications. And there's not, it is not often that people like you or I will have opportunity to make those big changes. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is change who we are. And that I think is the is perhaps the you know the end lesson of getting libertarian ideas inculcated in oneself uh, is that there's a limited amount of things that you can do to affect national and international politics. If you have opportunity, great, get principled and get there. But for now, like this is where we're at.
0: I think there's, there's the short game and the long game. And I think sometimes we think too much about the short game and like, Oh, well, you know, if somebody attacks us next year or whatever it might be, "What, what do we do? What's the libertarian response? Okay, yeah. well, what's the Christian libertarian response? And there's a couple things, of course, or I shouldn't say there's a couple. There's many things, but one thing that is sort of constant is that life-changing, life-focused, what Norman just said stuff. You have to change yourself, which will then, in fact, influence your family and you might have all the right ideas. You might have the right, let's just just assume for the sake of the matter that libertarians are indeed right on everything, which I realize is weird because we all believe in <laughs> slightly different ways of it, but you know what I'm saying. So imagine that we have the right ideas, right? But people aren't convinced of them. And some policy option comes along and we, you know, it's not like we're going to argue people into agreeing with us. But when we actually live our lives and sometimes that happens, I mean it it sort of happened with me and stuff, but you know, watching people live their lives with nonviolence, watching people live their lives doing good business, serving the poor, doing all of the things that show and demonstrate the way of Christ, the way of freedom, the way of loving one's neighbor, those things over generations go a lot further. And also you have influence over that. You have influence over your kids, over the people that you know in your church. And so that's going to be how you influence people, not just with ideas. Ideas are very, very important. They have consequences. We, you know, to quote that cliche, but the way that we live our lives is super important because that's what people, I mean, I'm, I'm a dad with young kids and oh my goodness, does it, come back in my face when I don't live what I say I should live or what they should live. And like, well, dad, but you do it too. Um, So living, (laughs) living (laughs) properly and following the Lord in that way is, is, is of course, you know, the best way to proceed personally. So we have one more question from Mike. Mike, thanks for all your thoughtful questions. So in regards to the Marxist socialist agenda that is being pushed, I'm assuming you, what you mean is in like the broader culture and academia, how do we engage this if it continues to seep into actual policy? If they begin enacting legal penalties for not complying or using force, do we resist or submit? So, Mike, it seems like you feel it's a real threat to our liberty. And while it might be a little overblown at now, it could be a big thing in the future. In some sense, it feels like this is similar to our first answer or to the first question in that, what do we do when we have to live under a regime that is diametrically opposed to the ethics of liberty and even you know, Christian, even Christian theology? For me, I would sort of answer that with, one, as Christians, we're not guaranteed that we're going to live in, in societies where we are tolerated, let alone celebrated. And so we have to live out our faith in ways that demonstrate who Christ is in the midst of of the world, whether or not that world is confused about who Christ is, or whether they you know seem to acknowledge
1: who Christ is. So that's kind of where I would answer it, Norman. I don't know if you have any further thoughts. If you want to be prepared for any eventuality in this regard, read the book of Acts, where you arguably have one of the worst situations for the church in history where you have the roman government literally killing them and yet they thrive if only we would take that example and be bold and brave in the proclamation of the gospel no matter what then no matter what happens we will be i mean we will we will be satisfied in it mm. nobody knows the future i mean that's both an <laughs> both from a uh, an economic point of view, it's important to kind of remember, right? And uh, and then also just from our, you know, the the future belongs to the Lord. We don't hold it. And so let's just live out the example of our Christian forebears in every way that we can and not participate in the acts of violence that the state wishes us to try and, and push, uh, but rather be the vehicles of peace uh, that we need to be. Uh, we don't know what the future is going to hold in that regard, but let us... Resist in the most peaceful manner we can. Amen to that.
0: This podcast was inspired by our popular book "Faith Seeking Freedom," which is available on Kindle, softcover, and audiobook at faithseekingfreedom dot Want your questions answered on our podcast? Email us at podcast at dot com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so we can reach more Christians with the
1: message of liberty.